on this special episode of Indivisible Westchester, the podcast. He's the man leading Westchester through the coronavirus crisis. We talk with County Executive George Latimer. George Latimer, hello. Hey, George, it's Shannon. How are you? Hey, Shannon, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you holding up? Uh, I'm okay. You know, it's uh, everybody's healthy here in Knock on Wood, so it's been good. Um, how are you holding up? Pretty good. You know, I mean, it's um, there's no roadmap. I mean, we're just trying to figure it out as we go along. Right. So, George, I, I'm already recording, so let's just get right into this. Uh, you sure, know, let's George, do it. Yes, uh, George Latimer, County Executive, joins me now via the phone. George, thank you so much for making yourself available to me. I, I see that you're getting a lot of messages, busy, obviously very busy time. Tell me, where do we stand now? Well, Westchester County um, has been seen since the beginning of March as sort of a ground zero turf when uh, we had our original index patient, the first person that we knew um, was contracting the virus and was hospitalized for it. We know his name now. It's been publicized. Lawrence Garbus, who was a lawyer, a resident of New Rochelle, and uh, generally very good member of the community, very active in his uh, religious uh, organizations. And it was that that uh, attracted the original attention in coronavirus in Westchester County to New Rochelle and to the particular congregation, Young Israel, that Lawrence is a member of. Uh, he was sick uh, for a few days, went into the Lawrence Hospital, uh, and during that period of time, he had gone to a couple of community events, uh, church events, a bar mitzvah, a funeral, a major religious service, and unfortunately infected members of his family, neighbors, and so forth. So in the initial stages of this, the first week of the month of March, the testing was done in that particular area, and we saw a big spike in New Rochelle numbers, 115 positive cases that came out of New Rochelle at a time when there was hardly any cases elsewhere in the county. So people thought there was a pure geographical connection to the contagion. Mm -hmm. As has played out now over the course of four, uh, four weeks, we have, uh, at last report, slightly under 10,000 cases. As we're speaking today, we have not yet heard today's numbers. We expect to go over 10,000 positive cases. And that's far and away more than any other jurisdiction in New York other than the city of New York. Right. But we've also tested far more people mm -hmm. in Westchester County. 35,000 people have been tested, and uh, with uh, a response of about 10,000 positive cases, that's still many more people that are negative than are positive. What I think is happening is that elsewhere in the state, and certainly elsewhere in the country, the testing is not as robust, and therefore they don't really know just how far the contagion has spread in other places. Right. So, George, we keep hearing that the next two weeks especially are going to be bad. Any guidance on when you think things are going to be lifted? Well, I think the lifting is only going to come after we go through the surge. And the surge basically, as I understand it, I am not a person of either medical or scientific uh, training. The, the uh, virus incubates in a person uh, heavily over a two-week period. Mm -hmm. And so the more people are exposed to it, and the incubation period of two weeks comes, when that largest cohort of people get sick, 80% of the people fight it off their natural health, their antibodies protect them. 20% of the people get sick, and some portion of that 20% of the people get seriously sick. And then, of course, we have fatalities that, you know, depending on where in the world we're talking about, uh, approaches 1%, 2 3%, and in, in Italy even higher than that. So the concern we have is that we're getting to the point in New York State and the region 
where the number of cases we have, people have had it now for a week or two, and now the virus takes hold, and how many of these people will have to be hospitalized, and do we have enough beds to handle them? Do we have enough um, ventilators to handle them? Do we have enough medical professionals to be there? And do we have those medical professionals with the proper protective equipment to be able to deal with them? All of that happens as the numbers rise and as 20% of those numbers get seriously sick at the same time. All the efforts to flatten the curve basically means try to limit the number of people that get it. You might get it over time, but don't get it all at once to flatten it out so that the number that are sick stays within the range of what we can handle in terms of our hospitals. If you look at it locally in this context, we have 3,000, uh, slightly over 3,000 hospital beds in Westchester County. The governor has tasked local hospitals by adding 50% to the inventory. I don't know if that's a reachable number or not, but whatever it is, you know, 4,000 plus beds, including 100 beds that will be created at Westchester County Center, which uh, the county has uh, loaned to the state for this purpose. If, if our con- level of contagion does not exceed a certain number where 20% of those people are hospitalized, then we've survived the surge. Mm. When people get when people get sick, there's no antiviral, Shannon, to treat them with it. Uh, so unfortunately, they go through treatment to lower the fever, treatment to hydrate them, to get vitamin C in them, to try to stimulate the body from fighting it off. And of course, we have people of weakened immune systems, people of a certain age, folks who are going through chemotherapy, mm-hmm. folks who have AIDS. All of those people are the most vulnerable. Their systems may not be able to fight a virus like this off. What about healthcare workers? There's a lot of talk about trying to get them the kind of um, the kind of protection that they need. What are you finding? Well, it's absolutely critical for our hospital workers to stay healthy during this. We need the professional skills that nurses, doctors, physicians, assistants provide. If we don't have those kind of enough of those people healthy, if they if they contract the virus, even if they don't die from it, it knocks them out of the service, uh, and then we're going to have big problems because. As, as in any field of endeavor, if you have one person watching 25 or 35 entities, that's too much uh, to be you know, able to respond effectively to individual needs. When we're talking about life or death, it's just, you know, it's, it, it's, a, sure, um, it's a sure sign that we're going to be in deep trouble. That's what's happened in Italy and previously in China. Mm-hmm. So having enough, uh, the acronym PPE, Personal Protective uh, Equipment, is necessary. That's gloves masks and the right kind of masks you know you can put a surgical mask on for some things but in a situation where you know you're dealing with covid patients you probably want the n95 masks that really protect the respiration process for the healthcare worker uh surgical gowns to protect anything from sticking to your clothing which could then later become part of an infection for you or your family um all of those things are essential and we also have to have enough of these people to give people proper rest because no matter how professional you may be trained in whatever field of endeavor fatigue will dull your skills and open the door for that little mistake that could become fatal mm-hmm. so uh, all of these are the things that we're trying to work on now from a local government standpoint your village your town your city and your county governments we're trying to make spaces available places available calling all nurses serve to correlate some of that information try to identify what kind of ppe is needed in in every different local area that we can the state obviously has done a brilliant job uh governor cuomo obviously on television every day has really captured people's attention uh, as a leader trying to organize this you know we've we've had you know, a poor response from the federal government. I think right now you're seeing them really begin the process of doing something that they could have done in January. They certainly had advanced knowledge of this. I'm not here to be political, but it's just it's a practical situation. Mm-hmm. And if we lose people, if more people die 
and you track back why. Well, we didn't have enough ventilators, but we could have had enough ventilators. We didn't have enough PPE. We could have moved to the production of these things sooner. That will be the, the bitter aftermath of assessment. For right now, we're trying to get our hands on everything we can, save as many lives as we can. So, George, I've heard several people mention the fact that golf courses are still open, although the county feels it can be done safely. Do you worry that perhaps it sends the wrong message? No, I think, and frankly, I do want to push back on this, Shannon. I've heard people tell me that they think it sends the wrong message. Different sports have a different level of interaction between people who play it. Now, golf is seen by some as an elite sport compared to basketball, which is a people sport. But the sport of basketball, touch football, rugby, you are up close and personal with your opponent. You're, there's no kind of social distancing that goes on with those sports. Golf, and I include with golf, bicycling, hiking, those are, those are more individual, separated situations. You do not come in contact uh, as part of the sport with the person that you may be playing with. And you can easily, usually have a threesome or a foursome on a golf course. By the way, I don't play, mm-hmm. so this is not a defense of something that I do regularly. Sure. But on a golf course, a threesome or a foursome can easily distance themselves at the tee box and on the green. Mm-hmm. For the county public courses, we have one person per cart rule. If, if you see two in a cart, they're breaking the rule. They decided to, you know, not follow the rules, and we have to enforce the rules better. But the intrinsic belief that somehow this is favoring, you know, some elite portion of our community, people need recreation. If they are not, uh, if they're not COVID positive, or if they're not quarantined because somebody in their family is COVID positive, they can leave their house and they can go out and they get exercise. It may be a walk in a, in a nature center. It might be a, uh, a bicycle ride on one of our bicycle paths, or it could be a round of golf. And so I really think that for those people, and I've, I've heard a certain amount of the feedback, many more people want me to keep the parks open. But for those people that want me to close the parks, at this stage of the circumstances, we're operating within appropriate health care advice. I want people to be able to have some recreation mm-hmm. because this being in home, and you may be in the house for two months. This could be three months before it's over. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to be in that kind of a situation for mental health purposes, you need to allow people to have some function recreation and and i really don't i think the criticism about allowing the golf courses to stay open is really misplaced so george let's talk a little bit about the economic impact what is the county going to do to try and help some of these businesses uh, get back on track well realistically right now what the county is trying to do is serve as a clearinghouse for information there are some federal programs that are out there bridget gibbons uh, our director of economic development deb novick who's just joined us as a deputy director are trying to collate this information. They've done a couple of webinars this week reaching out to local chambers of commerce to try to give them information and help those local businesses file for certain benefits for what's existing. The federal government just passed this, the stimulus bill uh, negotiated. Chuck Schumer was a key negotiator in it. Uh, obviously, the bill is not perfect. You know, you'll have other people come on and talk about the content of the, of the bills, but that is supposed to provide some individual benefits, some uh, for people who are laid off, supposed to provide some small business benefit for people who own businesses. And uh, we don't really know what that's going to be like. Our job is to try to understand it and then make sure it's available to, to the local businesses around. But here's the fundamental problem. <clears throat> we have right now a free fall in the economy. It's in the private economy. It's in the public economy. The county budget is budgeted on property taxes and sales taxes in, in equal proportion. Sales taxes have fallen like a stone. As you can imagine, all these businesses are closed. People are not buying things the way they did. Even even if a certain store might be open and you might shop, 
your mind just isn't on consumerism at this point. Your mind is on staying home and staying safe and alive for your family. And so the sales tax revenue has dropped. The hotel occupancy tax has dropped. The hotels are dying right now. Whether they can stay afloat uh, is, is one set of issues. Restaurants are dying right now because they're closed. People can't go out and have a meal. It's, it, that That is an example of bad social distancing. You, you walk into a place like Lasardi's in Larchmont on a Saturday night, and, and it's a wonderful place to have dinner, and we're all on top of each other. There's no there's no way to socially distance in that setting. Mm-hmm. And gyms, and barbershops, and beauty and salons, and movie theaters. So the economy is tanking the county budget. It's tanking the state budget. This is where now, more than ever, all the things we've fought for uh, over the last three years to have a better county government, a better local government, a better state government, this comes down to the federal government uh, uh, vision. And if the vision at the federal government level is to take care of big business at the top of the pyramid, as they did with the tax cuts uh, that were done two years ago, they're going to uh, do nothing to help us pull out of this mess. They are going to have to have uh, the same kind of robust attitude that Franklin Roosevelt took into the presidency in the New Deal. And it's going to take federal investment of resources. And it's not that... You know, you can print money and then you're going you're gonna to suffer potentially inflation, but you've got to risk it to get us through these moments because businesses that we've, um, that we've frequented may not be able to open their doors if they go empty for three months. And people who have been unemployed uh, are not going to be able to survive, they're not going to be able to stay, they're not going to be able to pay their rent, they're not going to be able to buy any of the goods and services they need. The county is not financially able to make right what has happened in this situation, and, and candidly, neither is the state government. Mm-hmm. So we're going to need to find uh, leadership at the federal level and leadership that, uh, of course, forces each of us to come up with game plans that are practical to help pull the economy out. I know the governor has created a group called New York Forward. He's appointed Steve Cohen and Bill Mulrow to head it up. Bill Mulrow's a former Bronxville resident, friend of mine, in fact, uh, a prominent Wall Street financier who knows his way around the economy. Mm-hmm. And, and these fellows are, are trying to put together some game plans. We'll certainly work with them and do whatever we can. But we don't know when the contagion is going to end. Mm-hmm. It could be a month, two months, three months. And then we don't know if we're going to see a second round of it. If you go back to what we learned in school about the Spanish influenza outbreak of 1918-1919, there was an initial surge, and then it, 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 it uh, dropped off. And then it came back a second time. And the second time through, it actually had worse results in the society. So we are in for a very different world right now, and how we respond to that is really our test as a generation. So, George, you've been an elected official for a long time. I mean, did you ever imagine something like this could happen? You know, you read about it, um, you know, as anybody does. There there have been movies out there over the last 20 years uh, that that deal with this kind of a thing. And it's as futuristic when you watch it. You know it's possible. It's plausible. But you watch it the same way you watch what would happen if we really did have contact with intelligent life from another planet. And it arrived here, and we all of a sudden had to deal with the fact that we were we were not alone and we had a different, you know, culture and another planet that we had to deal with. So you put it off to the back of your mind. It never came up in any political debate I was ever in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was never a serious conversation uh, in, in any of uh, the campaigns I've been. But this is why elections matter. Because sometimes people will go into the booth and they'll say, okay, here's Joe Blow or Jane Doe that I'm going to vote for. I have a checklist. They support these issues that I support. I'm going to vote for them. Or this person doesn't support doesn't support the issues. I'm not going to vote for them. And that's the way most of us vote. However, there's a there's a there's an essential je ne sais quoi about candidates. And and the real question is how will they respond to the unexpected? 
challenge. And that's what we're struggling through now. There is no roadmap. There is, this is uncharted waters. So now how do we, as you know, reasonably intelligent people, not brainiacs, we're not uh, academic, uh, we haven't run academic models on how to pull us out of a depression or, or how to deal with the pandemic or we're not scientifically trained people, but do we, do we function with the right instincts? Do we try to stay uh, transparent even during a crisis? Do we come up with creative ways to deal with some of the mechanical problems that we have to deal with every day? And, and that's really what the challenge is. And no, there isn't anything in my prior career that trained me for this, nor for any of us. We're, we're doing it as we go along, and hopefully we're making the right decisions. How are you dealing with this on a personal level? You know, it's interesting because, um, you know, I have, um, you know, I have, a, I have a, a deep and abiding belief that decisions are made in more of a uh, consultative, uh, multiple-person scenario. The executive committee that we have here in the county government right now with um, Ken Jenkins and Joan McDonald, Catherine Chaffee and Andrew Ferris and Emily Saltzman, uh, as a group of people, I've left a few names out, but, but John Nona, but, but that group of people to me is very essential as we kick things around. I'm very communicative with the county legislature, with uh, locally and on the sound show, Catherine Parker, Nancy Barr, Terry Clements, Damon Marr. And it's very different than what you see uh, traditionally where you're an executive, you have executive authority, one person is the leader and everybody else looks to the great leader. I've never believed in that kind of uh, management style because it never worked what I saw in business. I never saw it work in business effectively. I always saw that you get a talented group of people around you, somebody in finance, somebody in legal, somebody in operations, somebody in marketing. And as a team, you tackle problems, you make decisions, and you go forward. So, so to me, personally, I feel conf confident that we'll make as intelligent decisions as we can because there's a team of us making it. And because, certainly for me as an individual, uh, and I'm, I'm not out in the community now, I'm doing the same thing everybody's doing, but uh, I've attended, I think, 16 local village boards, town boards, and city council meetings by Zoom or by telephone to update them and hear Q&A, and I'm maintaining that same level of dialogue with people, and you benefit from that dialogue. You hear feedback, you course correct if you think you need to, and, uh, it, and it gets us through it. But this is what, you know, I signed on for this level of responsibility, and now I have to prove to the people that supported me that, that they didn't make an unwise decision, that, mm -hmm. that they got the leadership that they voted for, and that's what I'm trying to do every day. One last question. Next week is a holiday week. We have Passover and Easter. It's a time when families typically spend, you know, time with each other. What message do you have to people during this holiday season, which is obviously a very tough time? You know, we're not going to be able to cluster uh, the way we would like. I happen to be Christian, Roman Catholic. Uh, in my faith tradition, we're approaching Palm Sunday, which is a joyous uh, day uh, where palms are given out and, and there's a long procession, usually as part of the religious service. And then we follow it with a week uh, of, of contemplation leading to Good Friday and then to the joy of Easter Sunday. My friends who are Jewish go through the first night of Passover, the second night of Passover, with some very warm, important ritual dinners together as a family. That's going to be more difficult for us to do. But what it does do for me within my tradition and respecting everybody else's traditions is it makes me look inward. It makes me read from the scriptures of our traditions. It makes me try to understand what what were they saying to us from, you know, whether the story of uh, Christ's passion or the story of, of the Passover that dates back prior to that? What are, they, what are they trying to say to us? What lesson can I learn? Can I read? Can I sit and contemplate? Can I be more penitent? Can I learn how to be a better person 
out of this process. And if you're a better person, then hopefully you're a better neighbor, a better friend, a better public official, better whatever you are. And so in some ways, I think religious, the religious traditions, not everybody, you know, attaches to a tradition, but, but those of us that have that religious tradition, this, this crisis deepens our sense that there's something more important than just make a lot of money, buy the nicest clothes, have the nicest car, take the best vacations. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with any of that. But but that you see yourself as part of something much greater than yourself, and as one small part of it, there is a role for you to play, and you need to play it humbly, but you need to play it appropriately. George, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for Shannon, keeping my, us... my pleasure. Definitely thank you for keeping us updated, and we'd love to have you on again. Thanks for listening to Indivisible Westchester, the podcast. Proud member of the Demcast Network. Find us online at indivisiblewestchester.org, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay safe and be well.